and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 13, part 5, Chats of Prey. This is the fifth series in our season on shows misfortunate enough to be canceled before airing their 13th episode, which we've been calling 13 Under 13. My name is Magellan, and I'm joined by a girl who knows how to delegate. It's Alan. I wish you could have seen my face when I understood the the joke of shows misfortunate enough on 13. That's so good! Oh, what? You. Uh, you guys don't realize how clever Magellan is. Everyone laugh. Everyone clap. I want. I want to oh, clap. Stop yeah. it! Wow, well, you're delegating the clapping, just like I said. Exactly. I love to delegate, and I am a girl sometimes, <laughs> depending on the weather. <laughs> how are you doing this week? I'm good, man. You know what? I'm not good. I had such a shitty day. <laughs> I lied to your face right there. <laughs> Straight out lie to your face. I'm hoping it's going to be a good week, but we're not off to the right start. The train was a nightmare today, Uh-oh. and I'm I'm a little salty, but I'm excited to talk about this show with you. Me too. Mm-hmm. So we watched Birds of Prey, uh, the 2002. What network was this even on? Some, the, some the WB. Network. The WB. Yeah. Proto CW. Yes. That makes. That's a lot why of this sense. is a big deal. Exactly. Wow. But this is like small bill, small bill, small bill was small bill, little bill, little bill was on Nick. That was on Nick Jr. Little bill. (laughs) Smallville was WB, huh? Sure. Yeah. And that was 2001. Okay. This is all starting to make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. USA. Wait. Oh, USA aired. No, no, no. Smallville network was that (laughs) was the WB, which became the CW. Yeah. USA is where it takes place. USA's characters welcome. welcome. Fuck. Which should be the the uh, motto of our country, but uh, I don't know. Oof, oof. Anyway, characters welcome. Uh, the clowns are in Washington again. Uh, anyway, so the circus is in Washington is what you're supposed to say. We watched Birds of Prey, 2002 WB show about the cast of the Birds of Prey comic squad, which uh, is, we'll talk about them, but it's Barbara Gordon as Oracle. It's uh, Huntress and Black Canary, uh, and they are, you know, doing stuff, solving crimes, hanging out in New Gotham City, and it's an exciting, exciting time. Um, So, Alan, before we talk about the first two episodes of Birds of Prey, what brought you to picking this show? Because you picked this one for us. I picked the last one. You picked Mm -hmm. this one. Mm -hmm. Um. Had you seen it before or or heard about it? What what inspired you to to choose this for us? First of all, the clowns are in Washington. Batman is in his heaven and all's right with the world. <laughs> Again, cue audience laughter. Very fun. You need to leave. Birds of Prey. Yeah. So for this show, I picked it because we were um, just like not scraping the barrel, but really looking for shows. Once we expanded to 13 episodes, I was like shows that were canceled in 13 episodes and this one came Mm -hmm. up as like a surprisingly um well regarded by some people but very cult like really juicy stuff for chats it's Mm -hmm. aughts it's girl power it's buffy inspired which we'll talk about and it has some history with the actual like dc comics universe that even though it was canceled it still kind of matters this is the um first live action depiction of harley quinn which is notable oh, okay. as uh, Margot Robbie would go on to portray her in 
the Suicide Squad movies and the Birds of Prey movie from 2020. Because Harley Quinn originated in Batman the Animated Series. Is that right? I'm going to Google this before I tell you because I don't want to be wrong, but I'm pretty <sighs> sure you're right. Uh, recounts from 1994 graphic novel, The Batman Adventures Mad Late. Okay. I might be wrong. Yeah, first appearance of Harley Quinn. Here we go. Yeah, Batman the Animated Series, Joker's okay. favor. That's correct. There you go. Got it. So this is based on that, technically. Or well, I guess like then they also did the Birds of Prey comics. They continued to do them, which also featured Harley Quinn. So this is like the first live action Harley Quinn. And although it was canceled, these actresses got to be in a later like Arrowverse thing as their respective characters. Yeah, so they like actually... a multiverse crossover type of thing or something, right? Yes, yes. They got yeah. the the people in the show to play themselves, to play the characters that they played in Birds of Prey. Um, beyond that, like, and, and those who are really into the, like, CW, DC Comics universe, um, if you ever dig into stuff, it's like, oh, they made stuff like this in the 2000s, and this is one of the shows that people tend to find. So that's basically all I knew about it. And I like Gail Simone, who's credited as one of the, like, most popular and successful writers who brought the Birds of Prey as a team into the public consciousness. Um, I like a lot of her work with Marvel mostly. I haven't read a ton of her DC stuff. And uh, we both are big fans of Batman the Animated Series. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. How about you? Nice. Yeah, I, I was not aware of this show. I've always been interested in... Um, I mean, we love this particular moment in television, the kind of turn yes. of the millennium thing. Um, people know that we have deep roots in just our friend conversations uh with buffy the vampire slayer and this definitely felt reminiscent of that in some ways which was exciting i've never been a big dc comics person so there's uh except for batman superman the animated series justice league those are things i really loved as a kid so like any of my familiarity with these characters is largely from those uh those media sources but i've I've always been interested, I think, in like live action superhero shows, just never watched very many of them. So this was a a fun way to dip our toes into that. Um, And spoiler, I really enjoyed the show and I'm excited to talk about it. So you want to get into the the pilot discussion? So we watched two episodes this week, as we tend to do. We watched episode one of Birds of Prey called Pilot and episode two called Slick. Episode one was written by Leda Caligridis, who also developed the show for TV. She's not credited as an executive producer, which feels shitty to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, uh, anyway, but she gets the develop by credit and has a writing credit on this one, story credit and writing a teleplay credit on the next episode. Um, is directed by Brian Robbins. It aired on October 9th, 2002. Um, and Alan, could you summarize for us? what happens in the pilot of Birds of Prey. Certainly. In this episode, the Batman legend takes an unexpected turn when the Caped Crusader vanishes from the crime-ridden Gotham City, and his legacy is taken over by a trio of relentless heroines, the Birds of Prey. Barbara Gordon, Dina Meyer, started out as Batman's protege, Batgirl, but an attack by the Joker left her a paraplegic after being shot in the spine. Reinventing herself as Oracle, she takes under her wing Helena Kyle, Ashley Scott, the secret daughter of Batman and Catwoman, who quickly grows into the fierce Huntress. Into this group comes Dinah Lance, Rachel Scarston, a teenage runaway who is drawn to the city by metahuman visions. With the help of the only honest cop in the city, now called New Gotham, that sentence just 
made me hit the brakes on my perfect summary. <laughs> Ugh. Detective Jesse Reese, Shimar Moore. Uh, the Birds of Prey fight their first battle against a mysterious madman who is bent on destruction. Whew. Okay. So there are quite a few things that are interesting to discuss, I think, related to this show. Um, but I think the first that that we want to talk about here is the role of this show as like in the fiction of Batman stuff of the time, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because it's it's implied. I think they show clips of like one of the Schumacher Batman movies in the intro of this episode, right? I think that's what that was. Yeah, or no, uh, yeah, Michael Keane Schumacher. Michael Keaton slash Michael Schumacher. Too many Michaels. Well, uh, Keaton, this is what also is confusing to me. Keaton did two, right? I don't and know. I think this is what it is. Keaton did two, and those were the Burton movies. Okay. And then there was the two Joel Schumacher movies, one of which was Val Kilmer and one of which was George Clooney. Uh, and I think all four of those are in the same continuity. Yeah, because so the, the footage at the beginning of this is from the Keaton ones. From the Keaton ones. So from the Burton movies. <clears throat> um, that's, okay. That's interesting because those are so much older than this show. Because at that yeah. point, that first Batman Keaton movie is from 1989, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I guess that's the one that had the Joker in it. And that's the point because they want to use the Joker um, yeah. to like do the setup here. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so, I don't know. What did you think of this? The way that it's like very loosely tying itself to those movies. And have you, have you seen any of those movies or have context on them? I haven't. Although the recent trailer for the new flash movie, which is somehow probably coming out despite Ezra Miller's multiple I allegations. Believe, I cannot believe that. Uh, yeah, it's a mess. Um, that movie has the trailer. This is in the trailer. The movie's not out yet, but I can say this. Uh, shows that they're going to be tying in all of the Batman continuities that they can, all the ones that they have access to, including uh, Michael Keaton. So, like, that huh. continues to be canonical in a multiverse way. Mm. Flash dips into multiverse stuff. So, like, I think DC just handles continuity stuff like this a little bit differently than Marvel does. It's really interesting, mm -hmm. though, in 2002, seeing a show that is pulling from film continuity, because nowadays this is super duper common, right? This is like right. what this is the Disney Plus strategy is you saw yeah. the movie in theaters. Now you're going to see a character from that movie in a TV show that you watch in your house that'll set up another movie that you go to the theaters to watch. But mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like Amer the world was not ready for this concept yet because you fall into the show and if you're not familiar with Batman and even like the killing joke and stuff like that, then you're spending all of the pilot being like, okay, uh, who are you? What? Okay. So the Joker is the creepy guy. And like, I think yeah. that they are respecting their, the viewers enough and saying like, Hey, you guys, most of you who are watching a birds of prey show on the WB are going to yeah. understand what the basics of Batman are. And we're going to walk you yeah, through the like rest of it. You know who Harleen Quinzel is. We'll show you her name on the door and you'll be like, oh, shoot. Oh, my God. You'll know why that's a big twist or whatever. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, and if you're a comics reader, then you're already like, I'm basically watching an adaptation. It's when they start dropping terms like metahuman that I'm like, who? 
Uh-huh. I just try to put myself in the mind of like in the average person watching this, like a like yeah. no like no uh, comics context. And I yeah. think that you know part of thirteen under thirteen, what we find really fun is like figuring out, solving the puzzle of how did this this show get canceled? Why did it get canceled? And mm. I think that is a part of it. It's genuinely in two thousand two, audiences were not ready for this like sh- series that's interweaving mm. its storyline with movies that you probably haven't seen for like five to 10 years. It's like really strange. Right. right. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating. Cause it, it uh, there's a lot of like, I don't know. It feels like nowadays, you know, you see so many ba- Batman's constantly changing, like who Batman is. And we just got, went through another iteration. It feels like every time there's a new Batman, it's like, ah, like fuck the old way we were doing Batman. Now we're doing Batman this way, yeah. and it's uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have Marvel stuff that's so hyper interconnected. Um, and we've gotten to the point now with like Disney produced media, Marvel and Star Wars, where it's suddenly not out of the ordinary that um, oh my god, guy, a handsome guy, Loki. Tom Hiddleston. What's his name? It's not out of the ordinary that Tom Hiddleston would then be that character in a TV show or that Ewan McGregor would like do a miniseries as Obi-Wan. But like in 2002, no way is Michael Keaton doing a, a TV show. No way is Michelle Pfeiffer reprising her role as Catwoman on the CW. <laughs> you know, like that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It just was really fascinating to see this show um, grab those things and say, like, hey, look, remember that this is Batman world. This is all we're going to give you for that. And then also weave in a little like Mark Hamill as the Joker, too. uh, But not physically, like a voice of the Joker, not face of the Joker, which is weird. Yeah. Also tying us to the fact that Batman the animated series and then his portrayal of the Joker in um, Justice League and maybe Batman Beyond had started by this point. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also in the mix. And it's, yeah, just something that's so fun about revisiting older shows like this is seeing them puzzle through questions and problems that have like been solved by this point um, or media has just completely changed so i found that really interesting i I don't really know what else to make of it except that i was like is that mark the clip of michael keaton and then mark hamill's voice is happening and what a fun little remix we're doing right now (laughs) so two things uh batman beyond had started and finished by hit this point so that was 99 to 2001 so wow okay done yeah so definitely in the in the discussion of dc stuff is batman and the pro the legacy of batman which we'll talk about a little bit later um but i think part of the reason i picked this was you know we were a little burnt out last year with doing should you watch and watching some marvel stuff like moon knight and i've been watching you know i kept up with like she hulk and miss marvel which are both pretty good but then you get like falcon the winter soldier and hawkeye and it's like the way that marvel has been making tv shows in the past like four or five years has been really exhausting because they crank them out so fast that they feel very soulless and people know this. I don't need to like dive into why the MCU is kind of a mess right now. 
and it's just fascinating and so like so much fun to go back to a, a simpler time when really a DC executive or a CW executive, or I guess the WB at the time, I'm always unsure what to call them, was like, I don't know, Batman has, what, there are like three girls that work together that come from a Batman story? Okay, we get the boys with Batman, and we get the, the female audience because it's girl power and it's the 2000s, and, you know, we got, like, throw a little bit of the Matrix, throw a little bit of Charlie's Angels in here, uh-huh, maybe right. throw a little Totally Spies, and maybe you got yourself a sauce. Like... <laughs> Uh-huh. The 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 witch's brew that is this this 2002 Birds of Prey show, and this all of the different influences, all the influences that it's putting in are incredible. Yes, uh, so say what you will, and we will about like the quality of this show. Um, I think it holds up pretty well for what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I think we can start talking about what it is just now that we've cleared that context um and get into uh i mean do we want to talk about the kind of three main characters or where do you want to go with it next yeah let's let's set up our cast and what brings them all together yeah then we have a basis for which to just get into little notes here yeah so we we see uh we meet barbara gordon first um and her origin story in this show is adapted from uh the killing joke mm-hmm. um but it's like the killing joke thing of the joker shooting her uh without the more graphic disturbing stuff that the killing joke does after that point it's like kind of a tv sanitized version of that oracle origin story um and we can talk a whole lot more about Barbara Gordon and Oracle and disability representation. And uh, there's quite a lot to discuss there that that we'll get into. But that yeah. uh, is kind of what brings Barbara into the story. Um, and it's also her relationship with, with Batman and her commitment to this mission that Batman abandons, seemingly. Um, that is kind of like the thing that drives her within this show. She very strongly believes in um you know a kind of mythic understanding of what her work is in new gotham city which i think is is cool um and an interesting characterization for her um then we have huntress um helena kyle whose origin uh you know we we kill her mom in the first few minutes here um as a kind of motivation for her to become um, the next superhero person. Uh, and she has a frostier relationship with Batman because he was not present in raising her. And so her vibe is a little more, uh, uh, yeah, kind of like the, I, I look like a character out of the matrix. I talk like a character <laughs> out of a, I don't know. Uh, like a cool a cool teen aughts show or whatever and right. like i work at a bar you. yeah i work at a bar i have a, an amazing haircut that uh-huh. <laughs> only people in the 2000s would have mm-hmm. um she, and she's essentially like the um the the butter not the muscle yeah <laughs> she's the buttercup of the show to uh barbara gordon's blossom i would say mm-hmm. um and then we have 
Dinah, who uh, I was trying to look into this and I I don't know the extent to which this is a power set that Black Canary has in the comics. I saw some reference of like telepathy at some point uh-huh. was a thing that she could do. But Dinah has these visions that tie her to Helena and Barbara seeing these moments in their lives um, and feeling drawn to the city of of uh, New Gotham, wanting to go there and, and be a part of their mission. And that's what brings us into the current day events of the pilot is her getting on a bus and, and heading to the city. With my boy Aaron Paul in a stunning yeah. Aaron Paul fresh faced role. Oh my god! <laughs> Threw me for a loop because you know we uh, went into this and skimmed the cast and said like huh, I don't recognize anybody in this at all. That's weird. And then oh my god, like five first two minutes or whatever, you're like that's Aaron Paul, yeah. but he plays a one episode role basically. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think what's what's interesting about the characters is that they all have like you were saying earlier personal and specific relationships to their parents um mm-hmm. it seems like Dinah has like bigger mother issues that we're going to unravel throughout the series problem yeah. with her mom uh of course uh helena has this whole thing with batman and with selena kyle and we the viewer are like this isn't like Catwoman and batman the show it's their kids and then right. of course barbara we don't really get any talk about her relationship to jim at this point um i'm sure that's gonna at least yeah. briefly get name dropped because why yeah. not but that's the only thing that she really has with re- vis-a-vis like family stuff uh well because... but i think batman is a father f- to her essentially and she speaks about him as such yes they they acknowledge that when she was batgirl it was a found family thing and that was the reason she in contrast the huntress actually like respected him a lot and wanted to like him um yeah before things went bad i just mean like blood family she doesn't really talk about her blood family that much but yeah that's like the key of the batman family story and something we'll talk about more later is that they these people had a found family that is now has broken up and so there's like a sadness at the core of um of of uh barbara and and helena's storylines yeah there's definitely uh we're we're indicating that these characters um need other people right like they're kind of um they've experienced loss of various kinds or isolation or a a pull to others and uh what i really like about the way that the ensemble is crafted here is everybody has all three of them have like really different kind of sensibilities and philosophies about why they are where they are, what it is they're trying to do, but all of them share the same mission and like feel drawn to one another. Um, And so it creates really cool dynamics where they're all hanging in the clock tower and bouncing off of each other and, you know, having philosophical disagreements or, um, you know outright debates about how to handle certain things and i don't know i think it's just like i was surprised by how tight and and clear that ensemble work was mm-hmm. um because to be honest i expected the show to be uh not good <laughs> yeah and, 
uh, it was uh, actually, I think, really a lot better in the character sense than I was anticipating it being. Yeah, it's always fun when we roll the dice on on uh, thirteen under thirteen, and it's like, oh, this one was good. Why does it get canceled? And I, like I said earlier, I think it's at at its core, it's a bit of a hard sell for a big right. audience, and these like side stories of like a team that is the kids of other big teams don't always do well. Like your like right. Justice League Junior would never do as well as Justice League, for example. Mm-hmm. Because you're always tied to like, I wish I was just watching Batman. <clears throat> so I think there's an element of that. I should mention, by the way, speaking of like, why is this show so good? Leda Calagridis, who's the like showrunner, um, has a lot of great um, screenplay credits, actually. Yeah, uh, I was looking into this, too. She was co-creator of the very successful Netflix show Altered Carbon, Altered Carbon, which is hard to say. She did the screenplay for Alita Battle Angel, which I hear is like incredibly underrated. Uh, Terminator Genesis, Pathfinder, that Alexander movie from 2004, that like huge Oliver Stone epic three hour thing. Mm. She like is the main writer on that. And so she's done a lot of great stuff. And, uh, you know, and like in Shutter Island, you know, another Scorsese joint. So you bring in good talent and you get me a good premise and you pretty much have a a stew going. You pretty much have a good show Uh there. Uh, all you need is for the plot to go somewhere. And definitely this is supposed to be something we talk about more in the second episode. But uh no I didn't I wasn't like immediately in love with every single ongoing plot in this series. Uh yeah, no. It's just like I like the characters, I like where we are, I like where this is in relationship to Batman, and then it's like, okay, now tell a story, and then they're like, uh, so one of them has boy problems, and you're like, no, 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 don't. <laughs> I don't right. actually, I don't yeah. actually care anymore. <laughs> yeah, so there are a few seeds that are planted. I mean, the the main plot, a plot of the episode, isn't super interesting. Essentially, um, it also like, yeah, really weirdly handles um, the topic of suicide because, yes. and if that's a sensitive thing for folks, just a heads up. Um, but essentially there's this rash of like, uh, suspicious suicides that happen. And then it turns out that the villain is someone who's like, uh, making people fearful to the point that they kill themselves. And it's like, I I guess it's like a scarecrow thing or something. Yeah, but not called the scarecrow, but he does the scarecrow thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just really weirdly handled and very i mean the show is very monster of the week like we yes. can tell from these first two episodes and it's a it's a tv show from 2002 so you know it's not really gonna be i wasn't expecting it to be better than that um mm-hmm. but that is that is what it is yes uh, in in yeah. tone in in like sensitivity in diversity it is a it is a tv show from 2002 born out of the yeah. influences of the era as well yeah and uh so what it also does is it lays some plants some seeds for like you were saying some ongoing plots to watch mm-hmm. uh barbara gordon has this like teacher guy who she's flirting with and he's flirting with her and that's a thing and 
Huntress has this cop guy who she's flirting with and he's flirting with her, but it's like a little more uh, enemies to lovers kind of a thing and whatever. <laughs> and then... That's what they're going uh, for, sure. Yeah. I think the one... Uh, and then there's like, what's up with Dinah? She's a little mysterious. Okay, we'll get back to that. And then I, I do think the thing that works for me is the way that they use Harley Quinn. Um, and, you know, we'll talk more about her in the next episode. But she is Huntress's therapist. Um, and it's this kind of dramatic irony thing of she is the mastermind behind the things that happen, uh, like the the various monster of the week villain dudes. Mm-hmm. She is masterminding those things. And uh, we just don't know yet. Huntress doesn't know that. Um, right. So... That was intriguing to me, although when you broaden that, it's just another example of like TV depictions of therapy that stigmatize therapy, Yeah, um, which sucks. Like, God, I wish that we had like really healthy TV depictions of how therapy works so that we could have the like, oh no, my therapist is the supervillain, like that's kind of fun to me uh but it just uh, it's it's not good uh for anybody for that to be how therapy is depicted in in media you know and, and yeah it makes a lot of sense why so many people young people are like oh i don't want to see a therapist they're just gonna and like where those the the sort of harmful stereotypes around therapy come from is stuff like this and it's not to say like they shouldn't have written Harley Quinn like this because it's in her origin. This was like one of the basic origins for her. I still think that there are ways to write around it. And I think even in the aughts, some other stories had better examples, but that's not to say that today. I mean, hell the matrix, um, the matrix four, uh, has yeah. like an, another awful depiction of a therapist that you're like, uh, right. where we haven't figured this out yet. Uh, Flatbush misdemeanors, a funny depiction of therapy, uh but uh-huh. not a, a good depiction of therapy so yeah. i don't know it's challenging because you if just to like go on that tangent for two seconds uh this is a person who's supposed to help you but if they just really at the end of the day help you gradually the way that therapists do usually then it's the character would exactly and the character would just yeah. quote unquote get better and that's not super narratively interesting so then like i don't know there are, there are nuanced ways to depict it that a lot of shows don't do, and this definitely is not a good yeah. one. But Mia Sarah is uh, absolutely chewing the the scenery here in an yes. awesome way, just yes. hamming it up as as Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. That that first scene where she's talking to Huntress and she's raising her eyebrow halfway up her forehead at everything that Huntress says, I was like. What is she doing? And then the next scene where it's the sign says that it's Harleen Quinzel's office. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. Ah, I see what's uh, happening here. This is awesome. I love it. But yeah, uh, she. It's good that they yeah. have somebody chewing the scenery because the other yeah. side characters don't always bring it. I know Shimar Moore is like an icon in network television between soap operas and criminal minds. He was a mainstay mm-hmm. on criminal minds for like 10 years. He's the the cop, and when he was first introduced, I know you in your notes was like, are they going to, like, introduce cops, either one or both of these guys, who's going to, like, fall in love with the girls, and it's going to be a whole thing, and I, I could, like, see it coming, that it was his character. 
yeah. but that's mostly fleshed out in the second episode. Um, what were some other big things in this one that you wanted to talk about? So, um, I, I want to talk a little bit just about some reading that I was doing prior to our discussion. Um, yeah. And this is really me kind of like opening a conversation that I would love if, if folks out there have thoughts on this or things they would recommend us looking at that I'd, I'd love for us to return to. Um, but the character of Barbara Gordon um, is it's really interesting to me, uh, not knowing too much about her. Um, I, I knew it was recognizable to me. Oracle is someone who's in a wheelchair, who's, who's paralyzed. Mm. Um, I was sort of like, oh yeah, I, I think I knew that. But I, before doing some reading, I was not aware of like the extent of time that her character is paralyzed in comics, like in real world time. Right. And the significance of that depiction because the killing joke happens uh is published in uh nineteen eighty-eight. Mm-hmm. And in uh comics, Barbara Gordon is uh depicted as wheelchair bound as Oracle from that point until, if I'm understanding correctly, two thousand eleven, where right. she's uh able to walk again and mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading this article on this website called uh, Image Text Journal, which is sort of like a collection of free articles uh, by various scholars about comics and other visual media. Um, and it was an article by Carolyn Coca, who's a professor um, at SUNY Old Westbury, um, oh. a professor of uh, politics, economics, and, and law. Mm-hmm. Um We'll link this in the description, of course. Yeah. And she's written a book called Superwomen, Gender, Power, and Representation, um, just as like a part of her bio. Um, But she has this article rebooting Barbara Gordon, Oracle, Batgirl, and Feminist Disability Theories. um, That is definitely for me, it was an interesting entry into um, the conversation about like Barbara Gordon's role as a disabled character and like disability representation in comics and how that intersects with um, gendered representation of representation of different characters and what it means for Batgirl to then be able to walk again in 2011, almost like arbitrarily. um, And how does that kind of undermine, um, some of the qualities of the representation before was that representation good? How do these things interact? Like there are tons of questions that emerge out of that, um, that, uh, I'm just finding myself really interested in. I don't really have answers to it necessarily, but she's a complicated character. And I think, unfortunately this show, uh, that's a place where this show fails, I think, Mm -hmm. um, because, and this is getting into the second episode, but there's like that conversation that she has with Dinah where Dinah's like, Hey, I see you're moving your wheelchair with your mind. And Barbara's like, yeah, it's, uh, this tech or whatever. And Dinah's like, I guess you'll be able to walk again soon. Right. And she's like, yep, it'll be yeah. great. 
And also at the end of this episode where she's in uh, Huntress's mind and she's like able to walk in mm-hmm. Huntress's mind and she has the Batgirl costume on and she kind of like saves the day as this like mental version of herself mm-hmm. walking. And I don't know, it just really feels like this show gets it wrong. Um, and so I'm kind of like interested in educating myself further on what getting it right means. Um, and I'm not claiming to have the answers to that, but anyway, that was my very, very long winded answer to that, that question. Yeah. And we are not the ones to, to, to like be able to speak in super duper nuance about this. I, I, I love, I loved that piece. Uh, I got a lot out of it. Um, and I, I encourage folks to read it if they want sort of a basic understanding of, why it matters that Barbara Gordon is in a wheelchair and that they, they stuck to that. I mean, like obviously if the show came out today, they wouldn't have Dina Meyer play this character because she is abled and wouldn't do that. Uh, (laughs) She's over here being in star Trek nemesis in the same year, running around doing action movie stuff. Uh, So there's that, but also this Barbara Gordon is allowed to have a romance with an able-bodied person who doesn't talk about her um, uh, her wheelchair too much and is able to be sexy right. and flirty and uh, is not, like, necessarily judged by the other women on the show. She's judged and, like, harmed by the villain who has that awful line about, like, the not having legs thing, which is right gross but that's meant to be like look how fucked up this guy is and so i actually think that for 2002 the show is mm. doing an okay job most mm. of the time with barbara gordon and it could have and, mm-hmm. and it's weird to say like it could be doing a lot worse but always with chats we try to in, uh, invite folks to critique things from the perspective of when it came out not like just just today but also acknowledge that hey when this came out this was probably a surprisingly good depiction of a disabled character. Um, yeah. Not the worst, not the best, but like decent, especially for like the WB, you know, like yeah. not a lot, not a lot, lot, not a lot of other examples, I would say. Um, but I like her and I like her interactions with everybody else. I think if I have anything to say about like Barbara Gordon in the context of this show, uh, Dina Meyer is like too good of an actress compared to everyone else. <laughs> She's like weirdly realistic and talks yeah. like yeah. a normal for a very like naturalistic dialogue. And you have yeah. her against uh, Ashley Scott as Selena Kyle, who's like, I'm cool and a girl. And I think I have big opinions yeah. on things. And then you have Dinah Lance who ha- is like uh, Rachel Scarson playing her as like a teenager even though right. she's probably supposed to be a little like in, in her like late teens, early twenties, maybe seventeen, mm-hmm. eighteen, and she treats her like she's fourteen, where she's like, "I get to do missions, and I want to wear the goggles." And it's like, "What show do you guys think you're on?" Bar Dina Meyer's the only one who knows what, what show she's in. She understood the assignment. <laughs> it's, it's funny though; it doesn't make the show bad. It just adds a funny like contrast between the three of them. Yeah, it it honestly like added to it for me a little yes. bit this this spread because uh it just further accentuates the differences in the in their characters uh even if like the acting styles aren't totally gelling because yeah barbara gordon uh like dina meyer's doing a much more kind of classic uh yeah like you're saying naturalistic approach which feels 
right for Barbara Gordon, who's this more kind of like um, the paragon of like the way we used to do things kind Mm -hmm. of. Um, And Ashley Scott is doing a version of the Huntress that's like very, very much of the moment wearing a costume that would only ever exist in 2002, uh, that kind of thing. She's Faith Lane. Yes, she is 100% doing a Faith Lahane thing, um, which works for Huntress because that's exactly who she is. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I... enjoyed that discrepancy even if it was a little uh jarring at first like <laughs> yeah um my last big note before we get into like scene scene uh stray notes is just the fact that i couldn't get this out of my head especially watching this first episode how mm-hmm. queer coded this show is uh yeah. naturally shows of this era movies of this era especially that feature like uh female friendships tend to be reclaimed by the queer community as like semi-romantic friendships. Um, I don't think it's textual, obviously, but you can't tell me that Dinah coming up to these two girls and the way that she looks at Huntress when she saves her life from Aaron Paul, like that, she's like, that is the coolest girl I've ever seen in my life. And she is literally the girl from my dreams is like right. me winking to the camera. It's a little gay, y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. And there's stuff, there's little moments like that sprinkled throughout. You get a little bit of a sense that maybe uh, maybe Dinah has feelings for, for Huntress. Maybe Huntress is actually queer, the way she talks at the bar about other girls, um, the way that they appreciate each other's friendship and uh, like support each other. Mm-hmm. I think it leans more towards just like healthy female friendships than it does queer, but... What was yeah. really sticking to me was like aesthetically, these are like three. I'm trying to say this in a not crass way, but the only way I can say it is that these are three genres of lesbian. Like you know, and, and those who understand understand is basically what I'm uh-huh. gonna say. I don't I don't have to explain uh-huh. myself, but like they just all feel like different archetypes of that. And the fact that yeah. they're not is so interesting because what I'm realizing is that. A lot of queer culture owes itself to aughts girl power culture and sure. how that's all harmonious. And that's like why, you know, I've been like really enjoying movies like uh, Charlie's Angels in the last couple of years because I'm like, oh, man, this is like reclaimed now. This felt like something that I like born male could never appreciate. And now I'm like in love with these stories of like female friendships because it feels much more warm and lived in and appreciative than the stuff that I was exposing myself to as a young kid. So mm-hmm. I mostly want to just say that it's awesome and the vibes are excellent across the the the, the show. Uh, and it feels a very, it, like very, uh, it reminds me of a lot of really great like queer works that I appreciate. So that's, that's my, my two cents on that. Um, I'm sure it'll come up more and more, especially with like a Harley, Harley Quinn being coming more of a villain and like the role of an evil female villain. I, I think it's great too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all wrapped up in there. Yeah. Yeah, I I really uh I like that reading of it and I I think uh I'm excited to see where that goes and how we can explore that further. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Even <laughs> in spite of all the like shirtless muscly dudes that try to come into the screen and be like, "No, what about us?" What about uh, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that in the second episode. Well, yeah. Um talk about some scenes that you liked. So, oh my gosh, 
<laughs> God, I, reading my notes, I had such a fun time watching this episode. Um, so there's some Alfred narration. Alfred's in this show. Uh, Did you catch who's playing Alfred, by the way? I I did look him up, and I forget why I was like, oh, that guy. Why am I like, oh, that guy? The actor is Ian Abercrombie. He was in Twin Peaks as a bit side character in season two. He was in Babylon 5 as a bit side character in season two. And <laughs> those are the two main ones that are Chats relevant. He's our Chats alum uh, of the of the week of the series. But yeah, Ian Abercrombie, great character actor, despite bring, being British, I guess, doesn't sound, he sounds like he's doing a British accent sometimes, which is just funny to me. Yeah. Yeah, the narration, I was like, who's doing this fake British accent? And then I was like, oh, it's actually the British guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> got it. My bad. Um, but Alfred's just kind of around to, like, make us breakfast uh, sometimes, which feels like exactly the right amount of Alfred <laughs> for this yeah, show. Yeah, we got to have um, an Alfred. We have to have an Alfred in a Batman universe show. Oh, Ian Abercrombie also, for the nerds out there was the voice of Palpatine in the Clone Wars for the first, like, couple years of that show before he passed mm. away, unfortunately, in 2012. Uh, oh, and um, Sam Witwer took over? Nope, that. Sam Witwer. No, it was uh, da, 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 Timothy... <sighs> Who's the guy from The Worst Witch and from a Rocky Horror Picture Show? Tim Curry. Uh, oh, what? Tim Curry is Palpatine in the second half of Clone Wars. Yeah, that's true. Wow. <laughs> it's awesome if you hear it you'll be like oh my god yes so you know comedy was like that he like set the bar and then they had uh tim curry pick it up for the rest of that show wow that's fantastic okay clone wars does rule i have to say it. wow that's that's very very good anyways um yeah so so that's a thing god i love that we eased out of the flashbacks into the present day with an oasis song bumping on the bus Dying. That was great. The needles the music the are stunning. Yeah, so good. Um, the clock tower set and like how we swoop into the CG clock tower mm -hmm. and we end up on a sound stage. Like I love TV where you can see the seams. Fun. It's fun. I have expected Campy. Circuit to show up. Are you familiar? With, oh, did you ever watch? Were you a Power Rangers kid? Uh, a little bit, but pretty young. Okay, so my favorite Power Rangers show is Power Rangers Time Force, which is the one where you think it's about them going through time, but it's actually about them going from the future to the present and trying to get back to the future. Uh, and they oh. live in a clock tower. Some of the main characters of that show live in a clock tower with a mechanical owl named Circuit. So wow. I actually got awesome. huge Power Rangers Time Force vibes from this clock tower set. It feels like it's the same set. It's so green screen. There's a part in episode two <laughs> where Hutchess and Barbara are like sitting outside, and I was like, they don't they're not even hiding it like nowadays it's like marvel's like we built a gigantic set inside of a warehouse and they're like no we put a green screen behind two girls and told you it was a sunset yeah. don't worry about it it's like yeah. so so uh something charming about it yeah i agree good sets i love there's this great line where um where barbara is like scolding um helena over the the headset and she says it's a receiver, not a Walkman. Like, <laughs> just don't try to turn it off or whatever. Uh, that line was awesome. What else? Uh, uh, uh. So 
A character in this show says, is your spider sense tingling? Illegal. Go to jail. <laughs> You're not <laughs> allowed to do that. You can't do that. At the Are time, you telling they can me totally Spider-Man exists as a media property in this DC thing? I mean, you got to remember, like, before Disney, <sighs> DC and Marvel weren't... I mean, yeah, they were competitors, but it wasn't like, you must never interact with my stuff. It was like... It's not know. even that. It's not even like a... It's not like a canon a thing. It's just thing. surreal. Yeah, it's just like that. Obviously, it's meant to be a fourth wall breaking, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, fun thing. Yeah, but I don't like it because it really makes it hard for me to suspend my disbelief and get back into paying attention to the show. Yes, yes. Um, because then yeah. my brain is just like, wait a minute, if there's still Spider-Man comics, like, what do people think when there's actually real superheroes in the? Yeah. Shut down. Let's see. This show was a core influence for Halle Berry's Catwoman and the movie uh, Sin City. And Whoa. I'm just saying that. Oh. I don't have any evidence for it. <laughs> but I think Birds of Prey was the template for superhero cinema uh, for the next five years. And uh, I'll make that my argument that I'm in search of evidence for from this point forward. I'm going to allow it. I think it all comes about a lot of the like gritty stuff here comes from Alan Moore. So like Killing Joke informs Birds of Prey, which informs Sin City, which was an adaptation of a isn't that an Alan Moore thing also? I'm pretty sure the comic. I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, I'm oh Frank Miller, that, Frank Miller, sorry. But yeah. yeah. But that visual the like mind stuff and then Barbara Gordon's there and the yellow bat bat is yellow but everything else is black and white. Yeah. Like come on. Sin City yeah. invented nothing. True. I've never seen Sin City. Any good? I haven't seen it either. I just know that it has oh, an okay. aesthetic somewhat like that. Okay. Uh, I have a quick note. Uh-huh. Uh, the blackboard behind Barbara in her office in her like school building, just mm-hmm. like lists a bunch of female authors. Uh, which I only noted because one of the big ones behind her head when the guy's flirting with her is Joyce Carol Oates, which like. Uh-huh. A, I forgot that Joyce Carol Oates has been like a published author for this long, and B, uh, it's so you know you're not on Twitter, thankfully, but she has been in and out of the news a lot uh, oh, for no. alternating bad and good reasons. I think she has like said some controversial stuff in the past online, and that mm-hmm. like people are like, oh, that's really weird, uh, and also just like not racist but racist adjacent stuff. And then most recently, she's been, like, digging hard, hard into yelling at transphobes after the whole, like, J.K. Rowling, like, Harvard, Hogwarts legacy mm. stuff. And it's, like, I can't decide. I feel like Trish Carol Oates is, like, she's, like, <laughs> juking. She's juking the stands. Like, do I cancel her? Do I stand her? I can't decide. I can't decide. This 84-year-old woman is just out here living her truth, <laughs> and I appreciate her. But that's yeah. my shout-out to Joyce Carol Oates. This was the time to bring it up, I felt. That's funny. Uh, that... <laughs> This is such a random thing that that reminded me of. But I recently saw a clip from Star Wars Rebels where a character runs in and is like with Darth Maul. And he's like, guys, he's going to fight with us. And they're fighting the Inquisitors or whatever. Yeah. And it's like Darth Maul's helping us out. And we're like, what? That's Darth Maul. But he's like, I'll show you. I'm going to fight the bad guys. Anyway. (laughs) Not anything like this real life situation. But that's what came to my mind. I mean, yeah. It all comes back to comic books. 
and nerd yeah. stuff. I hate a man with no endurance. Really, what's the point? Unbelievable line. Amazing line that you got in your show. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That made uh, me happy. I love Dinah's. Yeah, she does. I love Dinah's spy goggles. It looks uh, like a toy that I would have gotten off Cartoon Network by calling the number on the screen. And paying thirty nine ninety five plus COD. And you're like, mom, yeah. it's worth it. They're sick. And then they don't work. They look so yeah. big and huge and weird. Yeah. Um, there's this interesting shot where Barbara is describing um, the backstory of what happened with her and the Joker and Batman and her last mission with Batman. And there's like fire in the memory. Yeah. And then that fades to a shot of Dinah reacting, but the fire like stays on the screen for a second. Oh. Yeah. It's this really interesting crossfade that i thought was like um kind of uh a surreal visual choice that i really liked mm-hmm. um yeah and that's that's pretty much it yeah those are my notes i mentioned the you don't have any legs line which is rough the fact yeah. that <laughs> this like horrible line and then like instant cut to thumping industrial music was so weird to me right and once again brought up the david getta george floyd thing in my head i just can't stop <laughs> thinking about it oh i'll never God. stop thinking about it and it'll come up in every single chat season sorry um did we talk about how they killed the guy the bad guy in his mind palace which lobotomized him in real life and how weird that is super weird I, we can't get into the optics of that because that guy is no longer in the show but like huh they literally yeah. say like we killed him in there which means he's basically out which they they, they like turned his brain off he's like it's yeah. weird it's weird also we end the episode on all you want by michelle branch so this show has a perfect 10 out of 10 soundtrack that's what we have that's the pilot discussion a meanie one but a great uh first episode so we'll be right back after this brief musical break to discuss slick back to chats of prey the number one birds of prey podcast this side of new gotham i'm still alan and that is still michellan that's a baby crying hold on how do you do a bird remember when i used to do pterodactyl noises oh yeah yeah can you still do it yeah are you ready yeah for folks at home i and i i'm gonna do it first and then That looks so bad on the way before. <laughs> yeah. So, so, bad. so, yeah, in high school, this is a thing that Alan did, but you had to ask them to do it. You know, like it was the sort of thing where it's like if enough people ask enough times, eventually Alan will do it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not a monkey with symbols. It's not just like Alan do pterodactyl. And I'm like, okay. It's like you have to, like, I have to have a reason to do it. Right. But uh, got it though. My face is red. My <laughs> my face turned red. We're still here. We are the birds of prey, and we're talking about birds of prey episode two, 
which is called Slick. The story was by Leda Calagridis and Melissa Rosenberg. The teleplay was Leda Calagridis. It was directed by Michael Cattleman. And it aired October 16th, 2002. Magellan, Habib, what happened in this episode? In this episode of Birds of Prey, the birds seek a cop killer that is able to liquefy himself and discover a hidden agenda involving arms shipments. Unknown to them, the mastermind is right under their beaks. Oof. Corny. Corny beaks. Let's start by talking about that mastermind a bit, huh? Yeah, the villain of the show, you mean? Yeah, Harleen Quinzel, Dr. Harleen Quinzel, because uh, it's it's a reveal, kind of a third act reveal in the pilot that the psychiatrist is Harley Quinn. Yep. And then it's like, oh, it turns out she was in league with the bad guy of episode one. And so her thing is that she's uh, kind of puppeteering all the all the, the shitty dudes that fight our our heroes um how did you feel about the further exploring the uh the villainous mastermind harley quinn in this second episode um i think she's fun i think that that um that performer mia sarah gets to be Mm -hmm. really goofy with this and and more so in this episode with like that scene in the shower that unforgettable scene in the shower (laughs) where uh slick basically appears in her shower while she's naked and she is in no way surprised or weirded out. She because feminism, baby. Instead, she's like, hey, what's up? Why didn't you do my fucking job? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to have somebody kill you if you don't get this job done. Anyways, go leave mm-hmm. my shower now. And he's like, oh, yes, ma'am. Right away, ma'am. And it's great. It's delicious. Uh, I lo- We love a yeah. girl boss. She's girl bossing really hard in this show. Yeah, I mean, she, like, literally grabs him by the balls in, yeah. in the middle of that shower scene to intimidate him. And then later pins him against the side of the shower wall and, you know, menacingly whispers in his ear. It's a it's a fun dynamic. <laughs> I just looked at my notes. I hadn't been looking at them until just now. And I literally wrote Harley as a girl boss in my notes. So I had the same joke twice. I love mm-hmm. it when that happens. It's like when I listen to my own podcast and I go, this would be a funny thing to say in 10 seconds. And then I say it and I'm like... Uh-huh. Uh, brain um <laughs> but yeah i think harley is a really great villain for this show uh you know i compare it to the power of girls just because you referenced blossom bubbles and buttercup earlier but like mm-hmm. they never had one single villain they had a, a rogues gallery and if they had mm-hmm. one single it was mojo jojo mojo who was jojo. a male yeah. and so it's kind of just you know straightforward to and fun to have the villain be a girl boss but also uh she's um she's one of their their therapists and this continues the kind of harmful trend of you know evil therapists that we've seen a lot and talk yeah. a lot about yeah i continue to not be a fan of that particular aspect of it yeah i i think it ends up being compelling dramatic irony that huntress has this arc in the episode where she's like huh maybe i do want to like think about my issues and talk to people and and you know be open i'm gonna go back to therapy and then Uh, swing the door open and it's harley quinn yeah uh that that works for me even though i agree that like we said in the first half um it'd be great to see a show where there's a good therapist (laughs) that would be pretty cool I'll say two things. I, number one, I don't think Birds of Prey is inherently the show to have that. something. I don't come no, to this expecting no, 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 good no. therapy, right? 
It's yeah. a DC adaptation. But also, right. it's okay to expect good portrayals, even in fantastical series, right? That's not an unreasonable ask. And number two, like, this is 2002. We're not here to talk about, like, why isn't this relevant yeah. now? Why isn't this good therapy now? I just, we still kind of have this problem today. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm less bemoaning, like, the way that this show handles it. Because, yeah, like you're saying, they're not, <laughs> like... Harley Quinn is not going to be the character who's portrayed as like a great therapist mm-hmm. um, and a more sort of bemoaning like the fact that there isn't a counterbalance to this elsewhere in, in media, which is not the responsibility of Birds of Prey, but it makes it it's something that I'm like thinking about when I'm watching it. Of course. And you should. Right. Um, um, yeah. So she's doing therapy. Uh, Slick is arrested and then immediately unarrested. Slick is great because a subtle detail is that his name is Slick because he turns into water. A less subtle detail <laughs> is, well, how, how unsubtle do you want to get? Number one, the fact that his hair is slicked back. That's one. Okay. Number yeah. number two, did you catch his real name? No. What is it? Oh, buddy. It is Silas Waters. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't oh, resist. Yeah. That's very comic book, though. I, I give him credit. Mm-hmm. calling the slicked back waterman side. and he's always sweaty they like coat the actor and just like yeah sweat yeah. cake all the time um you know what this reminded me of though this episode and and the and the like whole slick plot line what reminded me of the x-files yeah it's extra i just saw that in your notes i didn't think of it when watching but it, it's extremely x-files the x-files literally has a guy who can dissolve and reappear right or like trying to like a uh, yeah yeah yeah. There's like one of the one of the most famous X Files um, monsters of the week is a guy who can like stretch and stuff and like stretch through tight openings and yeah. that kind of thing. And so, you know they they yeah. do a little bit of like <clears throat> horror directing with like how do we portray this guy as scary? You know he can navigate through the sewer systems to transport around, and that's when he meets uh, Quinzel. He can his main method of killing people, which is great because it's a you know a weaponless crime. It's a, it's an evidenceless crime. Is that he just shoots himself into your mouth? Ew. Yeah, it's it's portrayed as gross, but he does drown you via his own body, which is gross and creepy in the way that a good comic book supervillain should be go gross and creepy. Um, I don't know. I thought this guy worked for me. He's a little bit over the top, but the show is over the top. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm I tend to not be super interested in monster of the week stuff by default. So uh-huh. he didn't like strongly shake me loose of that, but I I think it's it's an interesting enough thing to facilitate what's actually fun to me about the show, which is the birds of prey and mm-hmm. them like hanging out and figuring stuff out. Uh, and I liked the kind of mystery that they're trying to solve where you know the answer where they're like oh all these people were drowned on dry land what the heck is mm-hmm. happening this doesn't make any sense um so that 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 part worked for me i think yeah i think slick slick ultimately is a villain it's a villain of the week style that i do enjoy which is like this guy's doing crimes that we don't like other superheroes don't know how to solve cuz there's no more batman and there's no more superman's not coming to new gotham so it makes sense for the birds of prey to like use their expertise um especially huntress and oracle who are sort of like the tough and the smart you know the classic uh duo 
uh, of one of these series. Uh, the episode also opens with a part where we, we learn more about Oracle this episode. And we get to see Dina Meyer do really fun stuff. Like call herself, quote, a master of the cyber world. <laughs> I wish I was the master of the cyber world, Michelle. It's one of my dreams in life. <laughs> <laughs> Just to have that title. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we talked about her before and the portrayal of a disabled character. And I think there is this, this trope in like media studies of disabled characters called the uh, the super crip. This idea that like being disabled enables you some sort of supernatural ability that lets you quote unquote overcome or work past your disability and be more powerful or technologically savvy than you would be otherwise. Um, mm. It's mm-hmm. a pretty problematic trope that relies on a lot of like harmful assumptions about disability. Um, and they kind of lean into it with uh, with Barbara here with this whole like she can go into the cyber world and uh, she surrounds herself with a like, green light as she traces Dinah's like traipsing through one of the the facilities that they go through in this episode. It's like a little it's a little goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know if I'm like the person to speak about that, but that's in the text of the comics, right? They're just doing a thing that Oracle does. It's more than just like yeah. she has a really good memory. It's also like she can do tech and hacking better than anyone else you know. Right. Uh, but also, what was I going to say? There was something like, oh, yeah. doesn't It's either in the first or the second episode where we, we get Dinah like learning, like, how am I going to be useful? How am I going to like contribute to the Birds of Prey as a team member? And she's mm-hmm. like throwing uh, uh, Helena's like discs the around. The batarangs or whatever. The yeah. batarangs, yeah. And at that point, I think Barbara talks about, like, you know, we made these and they're great. And Dinah asks her, like, how are you moving around? And she goes, oh, I have, like, it connects into my brain. And she does yeah. the whole, like, tech, techno babble, yeah. English, please. Which that's that's the part that's, like, a little yikes to me is, like, oh, sure, I'm disabled, but I don't push my wheelchair. No, 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 no. I'm not, like, that kind of disabled. It just it works with my brain. Don't worry about it. Which, like, yeah, well, why? And the thing that... that- bugs me about it i mean we talked about in the first half um the controversy around barbara gordon being able to walk once again in the world of comics when that happened in 2011 or whenever that was after like decades of her not being portrayed that way Mm -hmm. um and in this episode Diana says, you're techno-babbling. Well, what does it mean? I think, therefore, the chair moves, which is kind of a funny line. Um, and <laughs> then and then Dinah's like, oh, so you're saying... Because then uh, Barbara explains, it's a thing connected to, like, my my brainstem or the subneural spinal response cord net. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dinah's like, oh, so that means eventually you could... And Barbara's yeah. like, yeah, definitely. And that's the part where it's like, okay, it's episode two of the show. Yeah. And you have taken this disabled character and put them in a dream world where they don't have this disability. And then in the second episode, you've had them cheerfully explain how they will be able to like magically change that disability for themselves and it's like what are we doing here come on this is this is no good so i that was the line that really bothered me the most and made me say like hmm huh 
let's do some research on like Barbara Gordon and how these narratives have played out. I'm I'm curious to know that. Yeah, because it sounded like from the research that you did that fans, or at least a lot of fans, were unhappy when they quote unquote undisabled Barbara. You know, people were like, that was some people were like, oh my god, this is like so triumphant because people always say stuff like that. Uh, it's how fandom works. But a lot of people were like, well, what the fuck? Like that's people are supposed to have they're they're supposed to have their thing she has a disability it's usually like let her be disabled right like it's not it's never Mm -hmm. supposed to be about fixing it that is the issue that is the like right right right, right. long-term issue is it's not oh man if i was only smart enough i only had enough money then i wouldn't be in a wheelchair like no you wouldn't have prevented the joker from doing that and it in no way prohibits you from doing what you need to as oracle and yeah so complicated issue it's that's a really weird moment though and especially because dinah is like oh gee cool like she's played as this like 90s teenager right because it's also not like there's no there is no relevance of it to the plot either which yeah also makes it this moment where we are taking time we are going out of our way not only are we doing this thing that's like a really shitty moment we're going out of our way to make space for it in the episode. Yes. Uh, which, yeah, feels weird. It's, it also makes me wonder if that's like foreshadowing something. That may or may not have happened in the 13 episodes. Right, right. Don't don't know or don't know what they would have done. I'm curious if that's something we can even research. Yeah. Uh, so we in, in that, though, we learn a little bit more about Dinah or we learn that we don't know about her. <laughs> because she has no records at least at first we learn that they tried they tried researching her and they couldn't find anything super weird what's going on there she's an orphan turns out maybe her mom she had problems with her mom she was left uh on purpose or something um we learned at the end of the episode her which is spoilers for the episode that we're talking about her name is dinah redmond and you if you've read the comics know that her mom was probably the original black canary is that the read here? Um, okay, sure. That's I, my I prediction. Sure. Uh, because if if uh, Helena's mom was Selena, like this is all like the kids of the DC heroes. Uh-huh, so sure. that's why I thought maybe her mom was Black Canary and she had her leave because she didn't want her to get involved in some bad stuff that was happening. Mm. That's my guess. Okay. Could be anything. We Again, that, that might actually get answered in this season. I do not know. But yeah. uh, we're learning a little bit more about Dinah. Uh, we're learning a little bit more about Slick and and Oracle and everybody. And we get some yeah. stuff at the bar, some really weird music drops. Did you catch the like early early Maroon Five song at the bar? That blew uh-huh. my mind. Yeah, I did. I did. That like a, b- before they got really famous, Maroon Five song. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> I made notes about Silas Waters, and then yeah, then the rest of the episode is Huntress and Hot Cop. <sighs> Hot Cop, aka Jet. Uh, <laughs> officer reese shimar moore's character uh-huh. uh and their investigation into waters which brings them to a pool conveniently because he's swimming and she's talking to him or something and then waters goes there and they quickly find out via oracle that that slick cannot uh survive in very hot or very cold temperatures so she mm-hmm. stops him initially with a fire extinguisher and then they sit in a sauna which is the most egregious Let's get the hot people naked. <laughs> I know. Or let's get them down I to know. their underwear. It was like, 
like <sighs> agree not even just the word like it, it's so bold it's so clear it's just like what else are you doing here oh no yeah. it's so hot the only way for us to survive is if it's oh geez i guess we, <laughs> we should probably take our clothes off yeah Damn. yeah yeah sucks huh i mean you go yeah. first and then they both do it and they flirt and this is gonna be a thing i'm i, I don't like this it, it, it's cop? already a thing it's already a thing yeah it's a thing yeah uh to play I mean, around with the temperature say, stuff well i will say you know when when we came in on him swimming this guy is startlingly muscular yes <laughs> it's like whoa okay got it he's Makes like sense. skinny muscular the classic yeah. like he doesn't show it uh Nowadays he's on the on SWAT with David Boreanaz. So if you want to see him be ripped and muscular on a modern show, you can watch him go from being a cop to being a SWAT team member. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Criminal Minds, SWAT, yeah, and then Young and the Restless. That's the one I want to see him on. What does this guy look like in a soap opera? <laughs> Speaking of shirtless, yeah, yeah. How's how? <laughs> Convince me that uh, Young and the Restless is propaganda. Let's see that. Yeah, <laughs> let's try it. Let's, let's. I'm just trying to have a conversation um anyways the way that they take care of this is they get flamethrowers from the weapon shipment mm-hmm. that he was trying to steal and mm-hmm. i it, i hate to be the rules cop here for a sec but she aims a flamethrower at the guy at um at slick like two inches from reese's head Are yeah you, why would that not instantly burn him i don't know what you're talking about like oh i just aimed it at i aimed it away from you it's fine no no, no. yeah yeah it's goofy and that's how they take care of it. They get him out of the thing. They they melt him, mm-hmm. uh, and he's taken care of. Is he dead? I don't even remember. I think I don't remember either. I think he's dissolved. Um, yeah, or no, doesn't he? he or maybe he goes back. He evaporates and he goes back to Quinn. I think I remember Harley Quinn scolding him at the yes, end, but I could yes. be wrong. No, well, maybe you're thinking of the other incredible thing that happened at the end, which is uh, well, first of all, we get the we get the Diana backstory, and then. The awful green screen clock tower sunset. Ooh, <laughs> baby. This is the kind of stuff I like from the 2000s. Is uh, Huntress and Oracle standing outside the clock tower, and it's just that's two people in front of a green screen fam. You can't tell me <laughs> that it's not. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and they're like going to go out that evening. This is a weird thing, by the way. Where, ugh, this is so weird. Sorry. Again, I'm, I'm being nitpicky. Helena's like, I should keep doing therapy. Maybe I'll go back to it now that I don't have to. I still want to. And mm. it's like 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, and she goes to Quinn's office. Right. She just drops in. <laughs> in yeah. her, like, party outfit. And Quinn is in her, like, red dress party outfit. And she's like, can we do a quick session? And she's like, you know what? Sure. What? <laughs> I'm about to go to the club. Right. But hold on. Let me do a quick sesh before I head out. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine I, I if that's how that worked? Did you catch and, and the the cherry on top, Magellan? The cherry on top that made me yeah. laugh so much what's is that? what what song is playing over the credits, baby? It's crazy by Meredith Brooks. God, so good. <laughs> I, mean, so I can't. Good. I can't with this show, man. The like, what song do we need to play under this episode about like therapy and figuring out yourself? <laughs> well, Meredith Brooks is popular, and this song is literally called "Crazy." Mm-hmm. And it's popular. Okay. <laughs> there was no additional yeah, thought given to it. It's such a vibe. And it's a, it's a very vibe song. True. Yeah. So the needle drops in the show are, are absolutely top tier across the world. Maroon 5, yeah. Oasis, Meredith Brooks, Michelle Branch in the first episode. This, I love it. I'm in love. 
Did you have any stray notes for this one, bud? Um, oh. I, another kind of like tentpole thing before we get into stray notes that I really liked was yeah. The, are you gonna talk just, about the Robin thing, the orphan thing? Yeah, just like the kind of core philosophical stakes of this episode, I thought were super clear um, and helped make the the like birds of prey character plot of this really satisfying because essentially the interpersonal conflict of the episode is between uh helena and barbara and they're having this conversation about okay dinah she's suspicious we don't know a lot of stuff about her should we let her stay here should we not and helena is kind of like okay we don't know anything about her she's lying to us like get her out of here um and barbara fires back with this speech about how like the whole thing the whole batman thing is like taking in these wards and bringing them into the mission and she uh name drops she says dick grayson tim drake jason todd weird like, <laughs> okay i felt Pretty weird sure, about it. like half of those guys turned into bad guys or something but uh-huh. or pretty... different vigilantes uh-huh um but i really really like that philosophical debate um between the two of them that's rooted in their background mm-hmm. helena having been you know abandoned by bruce wayne and that coloring her interpretation of this issue and barbara the opposite having been taken in by bruce wayne and so really believing in that, um, that really, I I really appreciated how kind of rooted that was in the backstory that we got in the first episode, um, and also just how specific of a philosophical debate that is to like the world of Batman, and not to like you don't need Batman himself to be here for characters mm-hmm. to have this very like Gotham City. Mm-hmm. debate you know so um i like that a lot and i like the character arc that huntress ends up going through which is you know uh it turns out that like if you take people in and give them the chance to like do the right thing sometimes they do and dinah does that she comes clean and she tells the story and her and and helena end up having like a much stronger relationship as a result of this um so I thought all that character stuff was just really good, and, and I, I liked it a lot. I agree. And you make such a good point that this is specific to Gotham City and specific to the Batman narrative, like that whole we bring in orphans thing, and you were one of them, and we we have to be able to do this to the next generation is like so uh, so juicy and just like satisfying. I don't know. I, I was like really happy that they included all of that because otherwise this show could totally coast on just like, Okay, Batman out of the way. Don't worry about it. Robin doesn't matter. We're telling a mm-hmm. Birds of Prey story, and it's like no, mm-hmm. the Birds of Prey narrative relies on what came before and how we ended up here. Mm-hmm. It's the only way that this is interesting, and I think that they really nailed yeah. it there. Yeah, and it's so much more than uh, oh, I I don't like Batman. Well, I do like Batman. It's about like what does this particular figure stand for? Um, and I appreciate that because, you know, it's, it's kind of odd to have a story that is entirely driven by 
female protagonists where the like framework the world the the ideas we're discussing are rooted in this like male protagonist story and so i like that this moves us away from having a conversation about like batman and if he's cool or not and towards this more abstract like well this was the mission me barbara gordon i believe in this mission i've seen it work it happened to me and i'm forwarding it in the world like i i really liked that mm-hmm. um and it also it's a good foil to we get a little bit more in this episode of of harley talking about uh because she's a similar character who's shaped by this desire to like see the joker's mission carried out in the world yep exactly. um and and we get her naming that explicitly in this so there's uh some unraveling of of that that i think we'll see continue over the course of the show that i also think this episode does a good job of introducing yeah like ultimately is is one of the goals of 13 under 13 to have a show that we go oh man i really wish i could have seen that conclude i really like am sad that Mm -hmm. that got canceled because Mm. often what we're running into is like yeah i get why that was canceled and like so far other than like maybe not every this is like a little bit niche this show uh Mm -hmm. i'm into it and i want to watch more of it and i want to see these plots actually develop so it's on track definitely yeah yeah i would agree i mean i could see it my prediction is that like it might get a little tired the monster of the week stuff yeah um but we'll find out it's only one way to find out but before we do that Mitchell, straight notes for uh slick (laughs) so i didn't know who Dinah was, so I looked her up and I found out in the comics she's Black Canary, and I was on the DC Wiki. And then there's a section for special abilities, and one of Black Canary's special abilities uh, is pedagogy, which is just like <laughs> teaching. The ability to teach, yeah. So there's a DC Wiki page for the the skill of pedagogy. Um, and it says, sometimes simply called teaching. Pedagogy is a term used to describe the ability of some characters to teach a subject to another group or to another or groups of people. Languages, subjects, concepts all fall under the subject of study for users of pedagogy to teach. Ranging from general subjects to the narrow, to the narrow fields, characters that use pedagogy are often masters of their fields. So it's just like pedagogy. And then it's this <laughs> list of almost 400 characters in the DC universe who have <laughs> pedagogy as a special ability. And I love it. Oh yes. my God. I live on this page now. Um, New Bane. podcast where we cover a character from each part of the pedagogy page on the DC. Week. Oh, uh, Bane. Okay. Yep. Barry Allen. Sure. Um, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Sure. 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 Yeah, John Stewart, Green Lantern. Sure, why not? Anyway, Maybe one more. This is fun. Because um, so far, that's just the Justice League. Yeah, I don't know a lot of these people. Lisa Snart? Yeah, Lisa Snart, dude. Oh, my God. Who the fuck is Lisa Snart? What are you saying? <laughs> uh, Lisa oh, Snart. Golden, Golden Glider. Golden Glider, the younger sister of Captain Cold and the girlfriend of the top. 
Excuse me. Excuse me, monsieur. What did you just say to me? <laughs> She's the younger sister of Captain Cold and the girlfriend of the top. Captain Cold, Leonard Snart. Top. Roscoe a Dillon jewel is thief. a supervillain. I, I got to meme the shit out of the top later. All right. I'm telling all my discords. A criminal who him. can telekinetically spin his body at superhuman speeds. He became the top and the adversary of the Flash. To be fair, it's nineteen sixty. This is like, like flat the Flash uh, Rogues Gallery type stuff. Yeah. Right now. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, I wish the Flash was in this. I wish these oh. girls were in the new Flash movie. Wait. I guess they no. They were in um something. Legends of Tomorrow. They were in these... a, a crossover in the Flash show, weren't they? Didn't you see that? What it was? Because I, I think there's like a Flashpoint like. I'm running Art. so fast. There's a multiverse kind of thing. Uh, well, that's the that new happened. movie. That's the new. That's what the new movie is going to be. Oh, that's the new movie, which is going to have Michael Keaton briefly in it. I don't know. These girls were in something in the Arrowverse, though. Like the actresses. We here. said it in the first half. Yes. Whatever. Joe, we refer said to that. Then. By the way, anyway, the actress Lisa Snart, who played. She knows how to teach. Go ahead. Lisa Snart. She knows how to fart. Um, the woman who plays Huntress, Ashley Scott, most notably, also is the voice and face cast for Maria in The Last of Us, the game, ah. not, not the TV show. Okay. Maria in the TV show is a very different person. Uh, so, cool stuff. She was in a really popular video game as an important character. Anywho, I, I have one go. more thing to say about Lisa Snart. Okay, tell me more about Lisa Snart, pal. So, she's tagged as knowing pedagogy because she trained Ringmaster how to use his special rings. Oh. Now, the ringmaster, Beauregard Bear, was a pawn of Golden Glider's hypnosis, of course. Of course. I'm just thinking of that that, um, vine where he's like, the yo-yo man (laughs) wouldn't stop yo-yoing. He just kept yo-yoing. Bo Bear was an author who fell under the hypnotic sway of the Golden Glider, who outfitted him as the ringmaster as part of a scheme to gain revenge on the Flash for the death of her lover, the top. Sheesh. That's all I got. <laughs> Paraphernalia. Ringmaster carried special rings, which could perform a variety of offensive functions, as well as enabling him to fly. Now, I got to tell you, you are not envisioning what flying with the rings looks like right now. Does he fly through them and they hover or something? Or does he hold them and... Oh, he rides on picture. the ring! <laughs> Let's go! Standing on a ring. That's oh perfect. my gosh! I'm sorry. I just got really excited about the. Ring I had so master. so many clever ways the ringmaster could fly instead, or it's like he has to keep jumping through it, but it lets him go through the air. No, he just fucking rides it like he's Silver Surfer. That's so dumb. I love it. Yeah, me too. Uh, my only last stray note is there's this line where Helena is looking out at New Gotham, and she says, "Seems like I'm always looking at the skyline in New Gotham, never the sky." I don't get it. Don't like, understand the line. I don't know. There's just like there's more up there. There's a little wonder in the world. You know? Oh, you're not looking. You're not looking out out all the way. You're looking just right, just ahead. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of nice. That's a good line. Yeah, there's like lines in the show that have a little poetry to them, and I I, yeah. I enjoy it. Do you want me to read all, you some lines? Some oh yeah, lines. yeah, please. Uh, From... Well, first of all, I have just a couple notes on on slick. Uh, I talked about like everybody's different um, outfits and, and like vibes. 
just Helena's like weird boob window in the final scene when she goes to therapy is the same thing I wear to therapy for some reason. I don't know <laughs> why I wrote that note, but it's in here. Uh, we talked about how aiming the flamethrower doesn't make sense. All right, I guess I've actually covered all of it. Oh, Slick at one point is like asking um, Harley Quinn about like, oh, one of the, your patients is, is you know, uh, Huntress. And then she's like, yeah, but it's not really working. She left. And he goes, I guess the therapy didn't take. And I was like, the th- I guess the therapy didn't take. Mm-hmm. Fascinating choice of words. That's all I got. I want to tell you what we're watching next time on Chats of Prey. Please do. Next week on Chats of Prey, we're watching episode three of Birds of Prey. Pray for the hunter. P-R-E-Y. Pray for the hunter. Several metahumans are being killed, and it seems they were killed by their own abilities. And uh, next up is Three Birds and a Baby, which has one of my favorite summaries of anything. Dr. Quinzel's sweet little baby killing machine flies off to the bird's nest where Huntress tries to wean him off his diet of mayhem. Oh my god. Sure. I, I don't think that means anything. Sure it does. Sure it does. Let's watch it. You know what? I wasn't going to, but now I think I will. Oh my god, there's another another Breaking Bad cameo next week. What is going on? Is uh, it Brian Cranston? No, better. Is it um Mike Ermitrout? Actor? Bet way better. Gus Fring guy? Better. I'll let you get I'll I'll tell you off air. Okay, I want people to watch. Her. I will. I promise. I want people to figure it out on their own. But John, where can people find you on the podcast here? You can find me on another show called Super Smash Echoes, which I do with my friend Justin, where we play video games that relate to the Super Smash Brothers franchise in some way. Super Smash Echoes, check it out. And you can also find my writing on my newsletter, notthatmagellan.substack.com. Newsletter, newsletter, newsletter. Alan, what about you? Uh, I'm on a couple of other pods. We have The Creature Quorum, which is on scanlinemedia.com. That's one where my friend Six and I talk about monsters from Monster Hunter and Pokemon. We've been having a lot of fun with it. It's a really fun excuse to chat, <laughs> to chat and just like be silly with each other. Uh, my other main gig is Talking Marketing, which is a bi-monthly podcast that I host with uh, the American Marketing Association's Boston chapter, where I interview fun and cool and interesting marketing people about their work, why they do the things that they do, and how they make the magic happen. Um, that can be found uh, at amaboston.org or just search on Spotify for Talking Marketing. Uh, I think it's time for the plug zone for chats. I'll do this one this time, John, if you don't mind. Please do. If you have questions, comments, or emails for us, our email address is chatspod at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're at chatspod on Twitter. Well, that stupid website still exists. We're on YouTube, Chats a Television Podcast. Go ahead and throw that a sub until, in the meantime, we're going to post videos. And you'll be like, oh my god, I was subbed before they did that. Pretty exciting stuff. We have a subreddit. It's our Chats Pod. If you use Reddit, it's a fun place to find episodes. If you like our show, we have a couple ways you can support us personally. Rate the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. I don't know anyone that uses Stitcher. But Apple Podcasts and Spotify, get that get that algorithm. Get that lamb out of here and get that algorithm in here because we want people to listen to the silly show that we do. If you have a couple of coins you could throw at us, like financial coins, we have what's called a Patreon. Patreon.com slash chatspod is the number one spot for supporting chats. You can give us $1, 3 or $5 a month. And in exchange, we will give you 
a plethora of bonus content that's been going for years. Um, most of that can be found at the $3 tier. That includes things like commentary chats, our movie commentaries. Uh, we just did a great one, which was voted on by the listeners, where we watched the movie Goodbye Lennon. Uh, we've got pilot chats where we watch show pilots. We've got chats nights where we just hang out and talk to each other about whatever the fun we want. Um, and all of that can be found at patreon.com slash chats pod. If you're a $5 patron or more, though, you get the special benefit of being thanked as a chatsy wassy deluxe comfort plus member and uh that happens at the end of every main feed episode so thank you currently to our five dollar patrons arthur jen justin cat lee magellan's mom marcus michael nick and pat of the brothers at infinite war six and stefan thanks for supporting chats guys we appreciate y'all chatspot.com is the number one place to find everything chats related and if you like our main feed podcast art it was done by camilla she can be found at camillastrator on all the socials but john before we take it to the close i just want to ask you what is your chatsum for this week and by chatsum of course i mean a piece of media or thing or advice or whatever that you want people to think about or enjoy between now and next chats episode well my chatsum is a book this is a book for anybody who like me uh has a hard time staying tidy, I suppose, um, is a way to, to think about it. Um, it's a book that is called Keeping House or How to Keep House While Drowning. And um, it's essentially a book that's kind of about like gentle ways to reframe the way that you think about care tasks, uh, like all sorts of yeah cleaning tasks chores whatever things like that um think about doing them instead of out of a sense of like shame or guilt or judgment um doing them out of a desire to kind of like intentionally design your life your space in order for it to function in a way that works for you um as opposed to you working for it. So it's it's a really nice uh, book. It's really small and, and easily digestible, so I'd highly recommend it. Yummy. I love eating books. Yeah. We talked about eating books before the podcast, so it's a callback for Just Magellan. <clears throat> What's the title again? How to Keep House While Drowning, A Gentle That's Approach right. to Housekeeping. And that's by Casey Davis. Imagine if I pulled yes. these things up before talking. <laughs> Could not be me. Um, I have a quick, a couple of quick fire chats in support. Yeah. Uh, two quick game ones. Um, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is coming out soon. Uh, myself and a friend of mine, and I'm sure hundreds of thousands of people out there, loved Breath of the Wild and its incredible open world gameplay and never actually finished it. So my chatsum is go back and finish Breath of the Wild before the new game comes out. Because that final boss is so dope. And if you have a Switch, you probably have Zelda. It's an amazing game. And, uh, you know, you play around in it. You run around the world. And then you say, I don't really know if I need to finish the game. It is worth it. It's such a cool fight, guys. And it's not that hard. You'll get back into the swing of things pretty quickly if you haven't played. I hadn't touched my save since 2021. And I beat that guy in, like, 20 minutes. Tops. It was great. Um my actual new game chatsum is a game called Vampire Survivors, which I've recently been really loving on mobile. Speaking of fighting bad guys like the Birds of Prey, Vampire Survivors is a roguelite 
um, action high score chasey game, time survival game, where you are a adventurer and you're fighting all manners of creatures on a top down pixely landscape. It's free on mobile and it's also on Steam for like three dollars. It's super fun and has a great upgrade loop. I just wanted to shout it out because I've been having a ton of fun with it in bed when I don't want to go out and get up for work. It's Vampire Survivors. And then last but not least, just a quick, quick shout out to a show that my roommate's girlfriend actually just showed me today. This is a K-drama called Mr. Queen. John, are you familiar with Mr. Queen by any chance? I feel like I doubt it. Mr. Clean? No, Mr. Queen. Mr. Queen. No. All women are Mr. Queen. I thought you were going to make like a Mr. Beast joke. I was really teeing you up for it, but you didn't do that. Uh, I don't know who Mr. Beast is. All right, Alan, please pull a clip of Magellan saying, I don't know who Mr. Beast is, and use it the next time he talks about Richard or whatever the fuck his name is. I don't know who Mr. Beast is. Sorry, I, I can't go on like this. His name is Jimmy. So Isn't it like Jimmy Donaldson or some crap? It actually is exactly no. Jimmy Donaldson. Oh, stupid brain. Mr. Queen is a Korean drama comedy series where a modern-day arrogant chef who works at the Blue House, the Korean version of the White House, uh, one day like wakes up and falls into some water. And when he wakes up, he is a queen in the Joseon period of, of Korea. Uh, and he, like, it's basically like a, like a gender swappy comedy. Um, it's very goofy. He's like learning how to respect women and it's got some romance and it's got a lot of like Game of Thrones level political wheeling and dealing. Um, even though it starts as a wacky, like sex comedy by the middle of the first episode, you're like, this guy's cousin is going to come across the country and bring a sword. And he's going to start a duel with someone to, for like the Royal crown. That's amazing. Um, it's great. It just hit Netflix very, very recently. It came out in 2020. Uh, and I had a great time with the first episode. And I want to watch way more of it. That's Mr. Queen for the K drama heads out there. That's all I got folks. I got nothing else to say. Magellan, anything else to say to the kids? Nope. Good. Thank you guys so much for listening to chats of prey. I've been Alan. That's been Magellan. We are out. Hello and welcome back to Chats of Prey, the number one birds of pot. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't make me keep this. I'm starting over. Okay, I won't say anything funny. Yeah, thank you. That ruins it as an outtake. Hello and welcome back to Chats of Prey, the number one Birds of Prey. Why? Why? Literally, why? What is it about the word? The number one Birds of Prey podcast this side of New Gotham. This take is staying, Magellan. We're keeping it. No, no, do it again. Do it again. Okay, fine.